Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 170. As always, a gentle reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend of our wonderful pod being heard all over the world. We can add the island of Jersey, the English Channel Island, as the latest place to download an episode of the Soccer OG. It has now been heard in 116 countries, if we can include Jersey as a country, but I am, for argument's sake, right here. Very exciting. So if you're that listener or listeners who tuned in for Jersey and you're coming back for more, great to have you. I think you're going to enjoy this week's show. Coming up in the business end, we'll be joined by Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, a true OG. He's been covering soccer for even longer than I have, covering DC United, MLS, but also the USMNT. He breaks news for the national teams, men and women's, all the time. We'll talk about the upcoming October friendlies. We'll talk about a little bit about the Women's World Cup and what to look forward as we get excited about 2026 and the good stuff that MLS has done, what's good and what they have to work on moving forward. Coming up in Check Complete, yes, I rebranded my final segment to Check Complete and it's never been more appropriate than right now. We will look back, I'll give you my thoughts on the VAR decision in the Liverpool Spurs game, the PGMOL, the governing body of referees in the Premier League, has released the audio. I appreciate that they did, and we'll break it down to uh, see what went wrong. A lot. A lot. And I have some ideas about how we can fix this. I'm not a big proponent of VAR, but I know it's here, so I'm going to learn to live with it, but maybe we can do a couple things to touch base. Hey, make sure to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. There is a video there about Christian Pulisic finally breaking through, starting all the time for AC Milan, why I think this is going to snowball into even better things. Go to YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. A video there, it's performing beautifully. So take a listen or watch for your viewing pleasure what everyone has uh, been clicking on. There it is. Excellent show coming your way. The Soccer OG starts right now. Joining you on a Wednesday, I'm getting ready to call a LAFC-Minnesota United game. Just three rounds remaining in Major League Soccer. I'm heading to Austin over the weekend, which I'm very excited. I have some friends there I'm going to see. However, I, I did notice that it's Austin City Limits weekend, which is going to make that place cray-cray. It's going to be a zoo, so I'll have to proceed with caution. I would love to go to Austin City Limits if I wasn't working and I wasn't the OG. I wish it was in my younger days. It'd be a lot more fun, but... We'll see uh, how that looks, but uh, looking forward to it. It's my first visit there. A lot going on. I'm actually recording this on a Wednesday in between Champions League games. Uh, we are expecting uh, Christian Pulisic, who we talked about in my YouTube show, uh, and how he had made three straight starts for the for AC Milan. And to me, it looks like he has broken in there. He has the manager in his corner and all good, all good. As uh, I'm trying to confirm if he's going to start. I haven't done the dormant. You will know here. And he is going to start. So four straight starts for Christian Pulisic. A good news, uh, the PSV, all three Americans played. This PSV looks like they might have some hopes of advancing to the round of 16, the knockout stages of the Champions League. So good news on the Champions League front. Uh, on the American side, it also looks like it's a wide-open tournament. No one's running away from anyone. We'll see Man City, <clears throat> Real Madrid, who are the favorites. Those are probably the top two, but I don't think anyone's running away. Arsenal losing, uh, Manchester United losing at home to a, a really below-than-stellar Galatasaray team, who, by the way, have Fernando Musleta in goal for that team. Fernando Musleta's got to be 38, 39. He's been playing there for 13, 14 seasons. And the one thing I think about, because I know the Turkish League pays well, that guy's had to have made $70, $80 million in his Galatasaray career. Still playing Champions League football. What a life. Fernando Muslera, underrated uh, rock star of world football. So we have a great conversation with Stephen Goff coming up of the Washington Post. Uh, if you don't follow Stephen, then you really aren't a U.S. soccer fan because he can break news or at least... By osmosis, you'll get his tweets. And uh, the games are coming up. So we'll get a, a roster release soon. And we will get a, uh, 
We'll also get uh, some games against Germany, Ghana, which is exciting. And uh, it's just a step. It's two more games. Curious to see who makes it. But uh, it's going to be an interesting decision for Greg Berhalter because uh, a lot of guys are putting their hands up. And a lot of guys that weren't eligible maybe can be able to make it this time around. Uh, <clears throat> namely, Gio Reyna. A few other Americans. We'll see about Josh Sargent. He's out long term. Um, but, you know, some other guys are stepping up. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Some news that broke on a Wednesday. This is the world of soccer is amazing. And by the way, again, a, a reminder and check complete, literally. We'll talk about the PGMOL decision, uh, a big gaffe with regards to VAR. Everyone's talking about it. And the, the problem with that is it was a great weekend in the Premier League. And we're only talking about this decision and hearing the audio. It was like hearing a, uh, forgive this, I don't want to compare these things, but you know, it was like this really creepy, like it was like a plane crash black box. So we're here, you know, it's like, uh, again, I'm not comparing the two, but it was just this eerie feeling listening to that about to hear a huge mistake being made. We made such a big deal about it. It's just VAR. And I think that's one thing we got to take away. We got to take off the edges of what they are doing with regards to the replay and how we got to simplify it and make it more human, Right. We'll talk about that a little bit and check complete. I'm excited about this show. So many great topics, including the one that broke that FIFA has awarded the 2030 World Cup to Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Great. Great. I love it. We thought it could go to the Saudis. The Saudis are going to get a World Cup at some point. But since we just had Qatar not that long ago, let's, let's push it out a little bit. The Middle East can wait. Morocco, Spain, I mean, Spain and Portugal, neighbors. So you're going to get everyone in that one tight little corridor. And um, Morocco on the northern tip of Africa, which faces, is very close. I mean, I think people forget, forget that, how close those countries are. But it makes sense geographically. As, uh, and you get a chance to get Africa involved. You know, I think they're just separated by the Mediterranean. So, I mean, you could take a boat from Morocco to Spain in a few hours. Possibly Portugal. Great. Love it. But the meddlers that are FIFA, FIFA, the mad scientists that they are, decided, because remember, one of the bids was South America, the 100th anniversary of the World Cup in 1930, which was in South America. To have it again in Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. Love it. But not all on the same ticket. And that's what they did. It will be hosted by the three European and one North African team. However, it has reached an agreement that uh, there will be staging games in the South American countries who had a uh, host co-hosting bid there as well. They will each host one match to start the tournament so they can celebrate that. And then it turns to Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Uh, they'll have the Centenario Stadium in Montevideo, Uruguay, which hosted the 1930 World Cup final. Again, great. I Does anybody... But it, Six nations, three continents hosting it. Uh, we're running out of hosts, by the way. But if the United States, you know... <laughs> Hosted in 2026, we might get another shot by 2038 because everyone's going to be co-hosting it. And it's it just doesn't make any sense. You can't tell me. Everything's growing. I understand it. We're in this new thing with 48 teams. But why not give the World Cup to Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay? That's it. I know the question is the stadiums. There's a lot of dilapidated stadiums down there. Um, they're... They will be on the clock to, re to build many new stadiums in countries like Argentina in particular, where the economy is well um, documented how they have struggled. But you don't need 15 stadiums. You need six, maybe six stadiums between the three countries and host a World Cup there. Imagine being the team that ho has to play Argentina, Uruguay, or Paraguay in that opening game. And you got to get this huge flight. I mean, what is the distance? i got to pull it. Uh, Buenos Aires... Let's say it's long. I mean, Buenos Aires to uh, Casablanca. I'm just putting um, what that would be. Uh, two days. <laughs> two, 19, 20 hours. With it, 
I know we're not going to have a World Cup where it's one country, and I, I love that because, you know, you remember Germany in particular or something, or South Africa, and everything's there, and uh, you run into fans all over the place, and, you know, we're springing into this expanded World Cup with 48 teams. It's going to be 64 teams soon enough, and we can host it with three countries. But USA, Canada, Mexico makes sense. Spain, Portugal, Morocco makes sense. Even the Saudi bid was all Mediterranean makes sense. Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay makes sense. But combining it to, to, to have some ceremonial things is, is just odd. We have to sit and grin and bear it. But it doesn't make any sense. This is like those movie execs that go in there and say, let's make a Snow White movie with fully grown dwarfs and no Prince Charming. Let's make a remake of Roadhouse. Stop. Stop it. The right thing to do is give it to Argentina, Brazil. Narrow down the amount of, of venues you use. And then Spain, Portugal, Morocco can do it in 2034. I don't know. It's just, you just it, it, it's amazing how something so exciting can uh, not be exciting at all. You get all excited about the hosting thing. And we were, we, we, we're big boys. We can expect some news that may not hit us right. I read that first line and then the second one, I'm like, no. It's crazy. But that's where we're at. Um, <laughs> maybe we should be used to all the news that we get that's not fantastic. So uh, we'll get on with it. We have a, a, a big show ahead and we have some big topics to discuss. So we will get to that. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe. Coming up next, Stephen Goff of the Washington Post joins me in the business end to talk U.S. soccer, MLS, and the World Cup of 2026, which we host by three countries. Not 20 hours apart. We are back here in the business end of the soccer OG, and I feel I feel a, a little bit of a sham when I call myself the OG because Stephen Goff is the OG. I mean, he is... <laughs> It's true, Stephen. I mean, you think about like when soccer hit it in this country, and you've been covering it well before. You have seen it all. You've seen the changes. I'm right behind you, but you yeah. were there. You were there uh, seeing the beginning of MLS and so much more. I mean, what? That's a. You have a very interesting perspective. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. You know, I, I remember covering games, professional games, at the RFK Stadium, not in the stadium, but on the auxiliary fields. Wow. With a few few hundred people watching uh, ASL, APSL games. Um, so, you know, the perspective, uh, to give some perspective, I mean, it's just, it's it's where, we, where we've come from is rather extraordinary. And I think people lose sight of that or they aren't aware of it um, because the sport has grown immensely in the last 25, 30 years, which, um, you know, in a, in a, on a soccer timeline is a, is a very brief period. Um, you know, think, think of how long it's taken other, uh, you know, other countries, you know, decades and a century to, to reach their reach high levels. And, and, um, here we are in a, in a relatively short amount of time. They, indeed. And I didn't do the proper deduction. Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, who covers DC United, I would see Stephen when we would cover some DC games at RFK. And, and by the way, RFK, is, is it still upright? Is it still standing? It is. It's been, they sold the seats. They pulled out the seats and sold them for memorabilia. Um, and now the city and the federal government are, um, you know, negotiating what to do next. It's federal land. The city wants full control of it uh, to, you know, um, do many things with the property, including a possible NFL stadium. Um, but right now, yeah, the stadium stands. It's decommissioned. Nothing's happening there. It's, it's um, uh, you know, it, 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 out, it outlived its usefulness, you know, 10, 20 years, 10, 15 years ago. You can imagine. You can imagine what it looks like inside now. <laughs> I don't want to imagine. I don't. Yeah. I have great memories there, and and it, obviously the Washington Commanders, the then Washington Redskins. When you went to RFK, you'd see the the Ring of Honor of the players from the seventies and eighties. It was very cool. I enjoyed it. I really. Sure. And that would be full circle if that NFL team came back in uh, 
to uh, DC as opposed to where it's it's in uh, it's in in Maryland now, correct? Yeah, in Landover and their their stadium lease, not lease, but their commitment um, in Landover expires in a few years, and they're looking for a new stadium. Certainly, the states of Maryland and Virginia are bidding. But RFK, I mean that RFK site, it's it's central. It has such great history with football, baseball, soccer, concerts, other events, um, and certainly for soccer, it was. You know, it was it really was the soul of American soccer playing at RFK. Oh yeah, the, the environment, the atmosphere, the history, the number of times the national teams played there, plus all the professional teams and leagues that passed through. Um, you know, it, it was a a a, a great. Uh, it was a gem of a a soccer venue for so long, and, and time had passed its time passed it by, and and now we move on to to other many beautiful new uh, stadiums, uh, many of which have no soul. <laughs> but yes. That's, but that's that's the world we live in. It is. And look, we, I, we're not here to talk about Washington Commanders football. It came no, up because Steve, Steve <laughs> that would be an interesting podcast. People go, what are they going on about? But I, I, obviously, Stephen covers the uh, uh, D.C. United, the Washington beat, but also covers the U.S. national team. In fact, is one of our preeminent voices with the national teams, a, a regular newsbreaker when it comes to news about U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, as well as uh, Major League Soccer. So it's an interesting perspective. And I, I love what you said about how quickly, because, I mean, we're old heads at this, but it was not that long ago where this was completely underdeveloped. You mentioned uh, RFK Stadium, and that was like, for me and i'm sure for you and many others the view of what mls could be it was the one that it was the one club that was regularly of the original teams that was regularly well supported uh, optically uh, appealing when you see the stands you go yeah people are into it but it wasn't like that around the league but it was there in washington dc sure and and obviously the success for the club it showed you what was kind of possible although it was a dream at that time and now we've kind of jumped into a bigger one but it, it it's I don't think anyone could know because, you know, I'm on I try not to be on X or Twitter or social media as much. But people have forgotten about where it's come from, even in that short amount of time. And they're not aware of if, if they feel like this coverage and this passion for the sports always been here. And I, I know the passion has been, but it we never had this access where we could watch all these games at the drop of a hat. I'm talking to you on Wednesday. There's Champions League on in a few minutes. We'll have a full docket of MLS. It's all available at the, at the hit of a finger. And it, it's it, it, not just the coverage, but that passion. And just um, so much uh, so much work and opportunity with regards to soccer has come up. And it blows my mind because it really has been within 20, 25 years that we've seen that. And it gets you excited about the future, but... The future is a little scary too, Stephen, because we don't know. As you said, some new stadiums. Will we have the the emotions and our heart attached to all the things that are soccer? But uh, I, I'm 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 thrilled. I, I'm great to see a lot of people getting to work in this field. But it's it's there's still that intrepidation that that concern about moving into that next stage because I'm not sure what's going to look like because this growth has been so quick. Yeah, no, I think I think the next step is. Um... Next step, the big step on the ladder is when 2026 World Cup's here and um, the visibility um, and the appreciation and the excitement for the sport will rise to another level. I mean, 1994 really uh, sparked something and, and led to the launch of, of MLS. Um, but, you know, 2026 is going to be an extraordinary event. Um, biggest World Cup ever, and I think um, you know that's that that's the next stepping stone in the evolution of the sport in this country. The uh, 2030 World Cup was announced, so it's uh, Portugal, Spain, and Morocco, which uh, that alone is a very appealing host. I mean, you know, Morocco just on the other side, uh, uh, south of those two countries, so it makes sense geographically. Then they put in the uh, to celebrate the the centenary uh, of the first World Cup. Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, they'll host the game or what have you. And everyone's kind of it's it's just weird. And it's it just goes the the involvement of the World Cup and how it's going more teams, more hosts. <laughs> One thing that I thought on the bright side is well, it, it, if they're gonna have six teams host it, 
the United States might get to host it again pretty soon. <laughs> so maybe we'll have yeah. a 2038 World Cup. Who knows? I, I, We're not yeah, ready for I mean, that. <laughs> right. I I think, um, you know, I think the U.S. is in line for another Women's World Cup. Um, they put in a bid with Mexico for 2027. But, you know, my personal view is it shouldn't be here in 2027. Um, Why is that? Is it, is it just too I mean, is it too soon and too much in, too much work, too much infrastructure, too much. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's maybe, a, it's a stress. And you'd like to spread it out. You'd like something to look exactly. forward to. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're looking at 2026 World Cup for men, and you're looking at the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics, um, and you're going to jam a women's World Cup in there. Um, but in the bigger picture, my argument has been that if FIFA truly wants to grow the women's game, go somewhere new. Yeah, go to South America where it's never been held, where the women's World Cup's never been held. Go to Africa where the women's World Cup has never been held. Of course, you need legitimate bids um, from Brazil and from South Africa to do it. Um, they don't get free passes, but if if the bids are strong, then go to those places. Spread spread the you know the gospel of women's soccer. Stop going to you know basically Asia, North America, and Europe go somewhere new and then come back to, you know, us in 2031 or to Europe in 2031. It's, I think it's really time for the women's game to, to, to blossom beyond its more, um, you know, traditional roots. Let me talk about the women's game because we saw that blossoming uh, at this past world cup. And you mentioned South Africa and Brazil, and although it wasn't a great world cup for Brazil, I mean, they were disappointing on the field, but the potentials there, we saw some young players develop. Colombia sure. did have a great world cup. Yeah. Uh, you're speaking about uh, Morocco had a nice world cup and South Africa yep. was involved. So it's not just, Hey, a ceremonial, let's have a world cup there. And you know, these teams get run over. They're not, they are improving. So you have that there just your, your takeaway, obviously covering a women's world cup, what were the, those top line items that were most uh, appealing to you? Well, I think we were expecting a lot of lopsided scores um, with so many first time teams. Um, and it, it just, it didn't really happen. There were a lot, I mean, there were a couple, but um, you know, nothing like we've seen in the past. Um and I think that showed the the, the growth of the sport. Um, you know, countries that are finally federations that are finally making the commitment um, and backing their women's programs show the show the results of that on the field. Um, you know, Jamaica, um, although they're not fully backed, um, but crazy, amazing. Yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, Morocco did well, and South Africa did well, and. And Colombia, obviously, Jamaica. Um, so you saw more teams, um, more competitive teams. You know, Portugal was a good team, should have beaten the U.S. in that last group game. Um, Spain won the whole thing, you, you know, despite all their issues, massive issues. Uh, England has grown so much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the big takeaway was the women's game, although you're still going to have – a small number of teams truly in championship contention, uh, you have a lot more competitive teams. And, and I think that's important for the growth of the game. It, it helps players and federations aspire to something bigger. Hey, you know, we can play with the U.S. We can play with Canada or Germany. You know, uh, let's put a little more into this and we could do great things. And so you're, I think you're starting to see um fruits of the labor there and um yeah no it was, it was it was it was a fun competitive tournament um much better than i expected i agree and the the competitive nature is is very compelling for me and it was kind of an issue i had where uh the 2019 world cup where the u.s women just ripped through there essentially they were tested a little bit but generally i don't think there was any doubt they were going to win it and to see to turn on the TV and see a competitive game and not, I mean, I mean, you mentioned that list of countries, you would have never thought that Jamaica or South Africa, or Morocco would have gotten a result, whether they could have stayed within three goals to the elite class. Now I, I remember speaking to a, a prominent TV executive and I, and talking to him about that. I go, Hey, the world cup needs more. Um, it, it needs more 
competition uh, on the women's side. And once they do that, and then you'll see the world. And we saw that sprout here in 2023. He told me, he goes, in 2000, he goes, the big reason a lot of Americans tune into the Women's World Cup is to see the U.S. women just tear through the field. Yeah. It is it is something that is appealing, something very American. Go, look, it's American domination. And I understand that. And I get it. Um, is that something that we may have seen the last of? And maybe not to say the U.S. won't win another World Cup. I'm sure they're going to be favorites in 2027 and, and moving forward. But the idea of uh, not being being having better talent, um, across the board, being better equipped to dominate. Is that, is that ship sailed? Um, it's certainly more competitive now. And I mean, you, you go back four years ago to the world cup in France, um, you know, the U S won it, but there were some tight games um, in the knockout. I mean, they, they drew one game of the group stage, but there were the knockout stage, you know, uh England was what two to one. France was two to one. Um, the game against Netherlands, the final, wasn't scoreless at the half. Um, you know, they they had some tough games. The, the game, the sport was growing. Um, we could see it. We could see it br- uh, bubbling. Yeah, and so if there are some flaws in the U.S. team, as there were in this one, they're they're vulnerable to losing, and they did. I mean, it, it's funny they didn't. They didn't play well in the group stage at all, but they they dominated Sweden. They should have beaten Sweden in the round of 16. They couldn't score, and then they blew it in the shootout. So, you know, they should have won that game. They were better than Sweden, but they didn't. That's how it goes. In the past, the U.S. would always find a way, one way or another, and this time they did not. But certainly there's a lot of questions to be asked about, you know, um, uh, nurturing young players and 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 becoming a more possession-oriented program and and just the technical getting better on the technical side um these are these are all things that need to be addressed but yeah certainly the u.s is not in a position where they're almost certain to reach the final of every tournament it's just not gonna it's just not the way it is as, as the game has grown yeah and that's a good thing and, and another good thing is to, to to really address those those uh shortcomings i guess what to develop the technical side so that you can match it to what's happening around the world so all, all sure. very good sure. uh did I, I did want initially wanted to bring you on here we'll talk about it here about talking about what's going to happen in a couple of weeks october window for the united states everyone gets really excited for the roster reveal everyone gets excited to see um this team get more games and they're gonna have good opponents here they're playing october 14th the germans in hartford then they have uh ghana in uh in nashville so yeah. uh much better opponents the last time. Although I, I was welcoming for Oman and Uzbekistan because they're teams they haven't played. There's a unique style. Right. We saw Uzbekistan do okay against uh, Mexico. It's it wasn't a wasted practice by any means. No, and they didn't have many options. Yeah, because so many teams around the world were committed to official competition. You know, qualifying and Nations League and everything else. So, the, you know, you, you did the best you could. Uh, um, under the circumstances and yeah you know they, they, it was Berhalter's first camp back and now certainly the competition uh, rises um, with these next two matches and, and are will be truer tests of, of where things stand with the U.S. team although you know Germany's uh, Germany's going through <laughs> a, a hard spell um, and a, with a coaching change and all so um, yeah you know they're end of the day they're still friendlies and yes I, I, I people will take them far too much far too seriously um win or lose and, <laughs> yeah they will because <laughs> um, that's that's the nature of soccer fans and and that's okay but again they're friendlies is it going to be difficult i mean obviously the united states won't qualify don't have to qualify for 2026 and that's a big concern yeah. because they gotta get games and we've seen teams yeah. in the past fill out their coffers. But because of what we've seen where the world is being separated a bit with the Nations League, getting those good games, how big of a concern is that going to be when we get into 2024, more specifically into 2025, so that the U.S. can be as well-equipped for the challenge where they're going to be feel the pressure to have the best yeah. World Cup performance they've ever had. Whatever that looks like, quarterfinals or better is probably where we're looking at. But that yeah. is the pressure is going to be on this team like never before. 
Yeah, next year they got Copa America, which is huge, a huge competition. It'll be the biggest competition they have, the biggest test they have uh, before the 2026 World Cup. And, um, you know, they, they need to they need to show well in this tournament. I mean, it's, it's you know, if you don't win, you're not expected to win Copa America, but you got to play well and you got to show progress and you got to be competitive. And, um, you know, they did all right when Copa America was here in, in 2016. But, you know, this is in the buildup to a World Cup you're hosting. Um, so oh, yeah. it's important. And it's important for Greg Berhalter to show that he has grown as a coach. You know, it's one thing to, to mold and bring together a young team um, and take it to a World Cup and, and advance out of the group stage. But now, you know, expectations rise. And uh, this Copa America is the first big test of his uh, uh, second tenure. Um, beyond that, yeah, I mean, you, you got a lot of Nations League uh, dates to fill uh, that you're filled, um, occupied. Um, you're going to have Gold Cup again. Um, but yeah, they're going to have to fill in some of those gaps with some with some with some um, quality opponents to get ready for this next World Cup. And and you know, it's not easy because you know teams around the world have. Euro qualifying and there's Copa, you know, there's Copa America and there's, um, uh, you know, Nations League and everything else. So, um, uh, you know, Burhalter has a tough job ahead of him and the administration, um, Tom King and other guys who arrange these matches, um, they've, they've got their work cut out for them as well. Yeah, I think that's important for people to know. It's like it is difficult because everyone's dance card is booked by and large. And this is part of the big issue we have with everything whether it's uh, fifa or uefa whether it's mls is just the calendar everyone's <laughs> if there's an empty space they're looking there to fill it uh yeah and the other thing people don't understand is like you can't you know there's this assumption oh you know this is a this date's open and we can have a friendly let's get this great team to play <laughs> here on this date it's not that easy it, it's there's negotiations there's there's contracts there's 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 all kinds of issues involved and obviously you got to you know hosting a world cup you got to get this team ready and so um they've got to they've got to find quality teams the right teams the right locations to play these games um but again it's not it's not you don't just snap your fingers and brazil um drops into the rose ball to play the u.s it's, it's it, it <laughs> i'd love to see that yeah. Here's Brazil falling from the skies. And, uh, maybe the appeal of the 2026 World Cup being here will help uh, a, maybe a country or two, maybe 2025, early 2026. Um, take that jump. We'll see. But that's a long time away. Uh, yeah. Before I ask you about what's happened here with the U.S., what was your reaction to the way the U.S. performed in Qatar? Uh, I know me personally, I was like some I, I was pleased. I mean, all those games I watched, and I was like they were competitive. They were able to advance out of a group where a lot of people felt the margins were so fine with those four yeah. teams that they could finish as bottom. They finished second. They pushed the team that finished first. That was one of the favorites. Yeah. And it got away, obviously, from the Dutch. But I mean, I, I, that was disappointing. But after, you know, 24 hours, I sat down. I go, this was after what we saw four years or five years earlier. This is uh, this is a nice step. And I don't know if everyone felt the same way. That's how I felt. Yeah, no, I think it was good. I think. You were you were hoping fans were hoping for that breakout moment, yeah. And we've been waiting for a while with this program. Um, you know, in in uh, 2010 in South Africa, they had an opportunity for that breakout moment against Ghana in the round of 16, and they lost. Okay, um, 2014, they had that opportunity for uh, you know a breakout moment. Yeah, the Belgians, which we, we never were going to. I mean, it's it's interesting yeah, exactly. you mentioned that about Ghana and the Netherlands. As we approach those games, I felt we have a shot here. Belgium, yeah. I said something great would have to happen. That's a much yeah. better team. The Netherlands, I should have given them a little more respect. But even after facts, but those are those two where you said round of 16, there's a shot here. Sure. And and um, uh, you, you're, you've just been kind of waiting for that, uh, like I said, that breakout moment where you upset somebody or you – win a toss-up game uh, in the knockout stage and that hasn't happened i mean they, you know it's great they got to the got to the second round um in qatar 
Netherlands with with its tradition, with its history, with its quality on the field, you know, they are favored. But it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that the U.S. wins this game. And again, they lost. It was disappointing in the way they performed, especially defensively. Um, and so, yeah, we're still waiting for that one big, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle moment. And we just haven't had it. Even 20, 2002, when they went to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, um, you know, they squeaked by in the group stage and then they beat Mexico in the round of 16. And, you know, we, it, 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 it we've done feel, this before. <laughs> yeah, it didn't feel like a World Cup game. And then they, you know, they had that chance to beat Germany in the quarterfinals and they didn't and they weren't expected to, but they had a chance. So still waiting, waiting for that, that one big moment. And, and you know, maybe that, maybe that comes in 2026. Uh, they'll certainly be in, in a position yeah. to do it. Um, but they, they, they got to do it. People want to see, people want to see a U.S. team um, win, win a big game, win a big showdown game against a major world power. The pressure in 2026, because again, they're going to be playing at home. They'll have their creature comforts. They'll, sure. but that pressure, I mean, uh, host teams do well, not all the time. I mean, historically they have, I think more recently we've seen it, it not fall into place, but it is it is hard, and that yeah. pressure is going to be mounting. And you mentioned it; it's like that one moment. Okay, that one moment where they can beat a team that that's great. excellent. Maybe we get to, we, the U.S. get to the quarterfinals. But you know, there's these people that would hope the, the those that feel that bring up the conversation: Will the USA win a World Cup? They kind of circle 2026. This could be the opportunity. They're hosting it. But it is hard to even fathom that when you want to get past this first game and then you get another game against an even better team. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel uh, – I would have maybe 10 years ago – remember Bruce Arena said it famously. I've, I can't remember the year, but yeah, one year they're going to win a World Cup. I go, okay, yeah. And I go, but when? And I go, I don't know if 2026 is it. They, they've done well, and I'll talk about the talent that they've developed. It's, it's an exciting group of players, and they're going to be more mature and – World Cup tested by 2026. Does that mean sure. they're going to beat these powerhouses? I don't think so. But then I ask the question, when will that happen? I, I When people ask me when a World Cup, I go, I don't think they're going to win a World Cup. Maybe not in my lifetime. I hope to be wrong. But we'll see. Because we just said, just get one of those games is difficult. What is there? Is there, is there a confidence in you that they could perhaps get close to that target in 2026? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I don't, I mean, we've always I've always kind of said it nonchalantly, yeah, we're gonna win a World Cup. But I go, well, I don't know when. This is uh, uh this is our good I, spot. Yeah, I mean, I think quarterfinals is a realistic goal for 2026. Um, but I mean again, you know, put it in context. How long did it take Spain to win a World Cup? How many World Cups yep. and they didn't even get a final or semi, they were they, they... Yeah. how how many World Cups has England won? You know, the yeah, I'm glad you got it in there. Place of the modern game, right? The Netherlands is is not won a World Cup. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to win the World Cup. Only a bunch of countries have won the World Cup, and so to just say this is like, uh, you know, okay, this is the U.S. year. It's not like that. Um, will the U.S. someday win a World Cup? I guess so. I mean, how long is the World <laughs> Cup going to be played for the next hundred years? So um, the law of that, averages say that yeah, <laughs> the stars will align. Sure. Fair to say. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you got to be realistic and you got to understand the full context of, of the sport. And um, so, yeah, let's uh, put our uh, expectations in check a little bit and um, go from there. Yeah. And, and let's not forget it's a 48 team world cup, which is even a, <laughs> an, another hurdle to clear for the U S yeah. I'm not going to rule it out completely, but like you said, th to have the profile of these teams that generally win world cups, like France have done it, who did take a while to win a world cup too. Added sure. that to the list or Brazil or Argentina. That's uh, you know, it's a little different. What yeah. about this, this talent base is it, it's very exciting. Uh, it, it's not fully cooked. But they're playing, you know, we're, we're I'm talking to you now and I, I saw PSV had three different Americans playing a Champions League game for one team. Um, 
so many others. Christian Pulisic, I think, is expected to start, and he's starting to him and Yunus Musa. Uh, but you know, just the, the width and breadth, we would always cover this would be a fun thing for Americans abroad and be a handful of guys for clubs in maybe Denmark and Belgium. And now we're having guys playing for some of the biggest clubs. I mean, it's gone up and down. We had uh, an American sure. win a, a Champions League a couple of years back. Stuff that we I think Stephen in our in our biggest, in our greatest imagination, we didn't think possible. But you, to see what this group has done, and uh, obviously where they're going, what what excites you about uh, the current USMNT group? Yeah, I mean, it's still a team that hasn't hit its full potential. Um, they now have a World Cup under their belt. Um, you know, I think that's very important. Uh, you know, we're starting to see a maturity in players. Uh, young, still young players like Pulisic and and Wea McKenney, um, and now you're looking for them to polish their game on the international stage. And certainly, playing at high level in Europe over an extended period of time, really unprecedented in American soccer. It was never like this. It was never close to this. Oh, yeah. um, so that's that's a big plus for uh, U.S. soccer. Um, there's good young players coming up. The U- U20s did well, have done well. Um, you know, the the flow of, uh, you know, MLS talent to the, to higher, um, to bigger leagues overseas continues. And, you know, you, you're still, you know, we're, we, we're still waiting for maybe that, that world-class striker who can score, goals regularly on the international level. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the big thing. We saw the, we saw the U S at its, uh, I wouldn't say desperate, but cer- certainly was glaring at the world cup where Walter had to try different guys at that striker position. Um, so, you know, that's one position where American soccer still needs to mature. Um, you know, is Balogun the answer? Uh, is Ricardo Pepe ready to take the next step at the international level? Um, you know, Brandon Vasquez has done well domestically. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to be excited about. It's Burhalter's job, uh, to bring it all together. Um, I think he's done a good job building a strong, uh, to build strong chemistry, a strong culture. Players really care about each other. They care about the program. Um, it's the, it's just, a, it's just a good bond. But that only takes you so far. Um, you need to perform on the field. And um, everyone wants to see these bigger tests. Um, and not just friendlies against Germany and Ghana, but how they do in consequential matches. Um, and that's where Copa America next summer comes in. It, it's, it seems impossible to, for them to, to make to, to get the most out of this group unless they get those games. And I, I, I always wonder that because God bless CONCACAF and it's gotten better with the emergence of Canada. It's just not going to equip them with what they need in, in those big games. But yeah. I, we hope we'll, we hope you'll see them. Uh, it's also interesting what you said about the striker because the, the economical nature of the U.S. at that World Cup where they scored two goals in the groups and that was good enough to get them through to the round of 16, which, uh, you know, a lot of teams go by that, but I know people want, I mean, you only imagine if this team could score an extra goal or two in a world cup, the difference that that could make. And we talked about strikers for a year. Who was going to be the striker. It was driving me bananas. And yeah. I hope it's Balogun. I think he is the number best candidate. Pepe hopefully can push him. And we're seeing some signs of that. Certainly on the national stage is that that really is the game changer, if not a striker, but someone who can score goals because I feel confident defensively. It's just the other end where you can maybe compete with Argentina and France and the likes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think most countries are looking for a goal score. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> the goal score. So it's not just, not just the U S um, certainly. I mean, Canada with, with David has a, has a great, um, consistent score. Um, I'd love to have him, and he he has U.S. ties, but he 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 plays for Canada. Um, uh, uh, yeah, you know it's it's it, it's a process. Um, you know Jesus Ferreira and Gerald DK. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there. Um, Haji Wright and uh, Jordan Pifok, and you know. So let's it's see candidates. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens. I mean, I, I don't I don't expect anyone out there. 
to become Lewandowski. But, um, you know, if you can get a consistent score, if you can get a consistent number one striker, I think that would be a huge boost. Um, you know, they, they just haven't had that. And, and Berhalter has gone through a, a lot of players over the past couple of years trying to find that that one guy that would really, you know, take some pressure off Pulisic and Wea and and Reina as he gets back um, into the into the national team system. We're here with Stephen Goff of the Washington Post. We're talking to USMNT, which he covers uh, uh, intimately, and the U.S. women's national team as well. We talked a little bit. I wanted to bring up a couple questions about MLS, and just to uh, dovetail out of what we discussed, and you mentioned a couple MLS-based players. Uh, how have you seen how this league has helped equip the national team has helped I, I, springboard players to these European dreams where it wasn't that long ago. And I, people really forget this where European teams would come here uh, very infrequently and look for a good deal. And it's, you know, I, I think the Clint Dempsey to Fulham one sticks out and Clint was a little bit older there, but I think it was like two right. or 3 million. It was, you know, it was, it was for, for a guy who played as well as he did, the, you know, the price tag or the transfer fee didn't really equate. And then we saw a little bit of growth. And then we saw the big one from Pepe, uh, the the Alfonso Davies, which was, you know, not a big total, which should have been a lot more. And I think that opened the eyes for both sides, MLS and European clubs. But, you know, more and more we see, you know, sometimes non-American players, Georgi Petrovic, big deal uh, for the Serbian goalkeeper to go from New England to Chelsea. But focusing on the uh, American players is, and I know MLS has been, um, hell-bent on developing the academies. They've done a great job with MLS Next Pro, and, and it's still the undiscovered country where you could find that talent out there. We all sure. believe it's there. But how have you seen that apparatus working, and are we getting closer to maybe unearthing the, the American Messi or whomever that is where we uh, we have the talent that we, we know is out there that can be on par with some of the top uh, nations in the world? Yeah, I mean, I think the academies certainly provide professional environments for players at a younger age, and, and that's important. And in the context of American sports, it, it's a little jarring to see, you know, a 13, 14, 15-year-old um, uh, either signing professionally or, or going every day to professional training, but that's the way it works around the world. And it's important for the American soccer to join the, the global ecosystem. And that means developing players at a young age, getting them into professional environments, getting them into professional matches, uh, showcasing them, um, and certainly putting them out on the marketplace for bigger and better things um, if, the, if the price is right and the situation is right. And so you're starting to see more players who have grown in those professional settings appealing to European clubs because they're not they're not just plucking a kid out of high school or, or college or some you know some uh, suburban youth club these these kids are now growing up in um, in professional environments just like Europeans now uh, you know we're not comparing MLS academies to La Masia or anything like that but uh, you know it, it's getting better and I think as young players gain that experience, um, they're, they're, they're better positioned, um, to, to go overseas and, um, carry the, carry the MLS name or the MLS club's name with them. Um, and I, th I think that resonates overseas, um, and brings more attention to the league and, and certainly brings more scouts, um, uh, from abroad looking at, uh, American talent. Yeah, I believe that, and I I believe they the, the the scouts and the clubs overseas are looking at they don't want to miss out because they know that there is there's talent in them hills and they've seen it not just in the USA. We should mention Canada because we mentioned Alfonso sure. Davies, but it's uh, they are aware of that, and that's due in large part because of the development of academies and so forth where. We we have seen those connecting of the dots, so I, that is just going to keep growing. But I I I, admi I I imagine there's a lot more respect. I I was even uh, just the coverage. Sometimes I'll watch Argentine television, thanks to the social media, and you'll see them talk about MLS and they speak about it in so much more sophisticated means. Where it used to be like this wild west. Oh, the the MLS, this league in the United States. Now they are aware mm -hmm. and. 
with all the South American talent coming up here. It's uh, you're seeing that. And even in Europe, when you see Sky Sports, they don't talk about MLS like it's some Mars, like some player coming from Mars or something like that. Yeah, no, you see players going, you know, whether it's European players signing um, on this side or, or MLS players going over there or the conversation about MLS players um, when, you know, uh, the, the window uh, deadline is approaching, you know, you'll, you'll see names pop up. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to get into that ecosystem. Um, it's important financially. It's important developmentally. Um, and, you know, it just, it just it brings you, it brings you into, into the, truly into the world's game. Sure does. A final question, Steve, and just I know because you're covering MLS right now, you're following DC United. I've been covering it. It's It's been a thrill with the League's Cup and seeing Mexican teams here, which is something we never thought was possible. Obviously, Lionel Messi. We're also seeing players now, and I saw Jonathan Tannenwald report about Andre Blake, about the busy calendar, and it is. It's insane. Um, yeah. I, I, as a broadcaster, I don't mind, <laughs> but uh, yeah. how, how, how have you seen uh, this? This is without question the biggest year in MLS's history, and I didn't even mention Apple TV, which has yeah. been a, a real game changer. It's all really good, but now there's this stage where you have something that you need to make you've got some you have a nice piece of clay and you want to build a really nice uh, yeah. vase or something out of it there's an opportunity there and you almost feel like you've got to do it well because it could go the wrong direction but how have you seen that 2023 and how it sets the table moving forward yeah i mean you've certainly seen some some big moments in league history especially with apple um the arrival of Messi, the start of league's cup but yeah, there is that strain, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it with the with Miami right now. Um, you know, pushing for those trophies in uh, Open Cup and and uh, Leagues Cup, and you know they're 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 wearing they're wearing down. They're wearing out, and we've seen it with other clubs who are taxed early in the season with. Uh, CONCACAF events, um, non-league events, and it, it really takes a toll. And if you don't have the proper roster depth, it's it's going to affect you. Um, uh, you know, a team like uh, Cincinnati has been the best team in MLS this year. They seem fresh. They seem ready to make a championship run. They haven't had um, the enormous burden of, of, um, of these other competitions. So I, I think they're well positioned to, to win a championship in a city that's really embraced the team, really embraced the sport. They have a wonderful stadium. Uh, they have a strong MVP candidate, Luciano Acosta. Um, so, you know, I think um, things are set up well for, for, for Chris Albright and, and Pat Noonan in, uh, in Cincinnati to, to win a championship and, and add it to the supporter shield. Um, again, MLS has playoffs and, you know, the, the margin is slim and things happen in these playoffs, especially, you know, we see the formats constantly changing and, you know, no extra time in these games and going straight to shootouts to earn points. So, um, you know, not, not <laughs> little, little, little mad scientist here, but I don't mind it. Yeah, No, it's too bad. I mean, MLS is still trying to figure out what the best playoff format is because really the, the playoffs, the postseason should be the climax, the the culmination of of everything you've done all season, and it, it just seems like in recent years it, it hasn't been that way. MLS Cup is, but the playoffs, getting to that point, uh, people really just don't know when the games are or what the format is, and it's been a struggle. And I think the league's still trying to, still, still, still try to work its way through that. Just like soccer, the league is uh, still in diapers in many ways, but it's it's growing. It's growing for us. And by the way, it's a great shout for Cincinnati. But like you said, they didn't haven't been burdened with the extra games, but they will next year. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and same with St. Louis, who have been an incredible story. Yeah. I got to tell you, the idea, because someone said, who do you think is MLS Cup? I go, I wouldn't rule out Cincinnati versus St. Louis. And I had to stop myself. I go, did I just say that out loud? Because that would, <laughs> Cincinnati's been for four years. St. Louis just yeah. got here. It's But this is the reality of covering this league, which is, uh, yeah. it's exciting. Exactly. It's We know, and you always think of project in 10, 20 years what it'll look like, but we're still, we're still growing. Yep, indeed, indeed. Stephen Goth of the Washington Post. Absolutely great to talk with you, man. Have a great uh, rest of your day down uh, in Texas covering D.C. United. And, uh, let's uh, look forward to maybe reconnecting as we get closer to Copa America. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, great to join you again sometime.
the original OG, Stephen OG joined uh, Stephen OG, Stephen <laughs> Goff. <laughs> By the way, I loved your tweet about how Coco Goff and Jared Goff, your family's <laughs> been doing great in sports. So congratulations, yeah. the best of the fam. Yeah, no, they're doing they're doing well, making the family proud. <laughs> Stephen Goff joining us here in the business, and we'll be back with Check Complete, which is very appropriate. We're going to talk about VAR and the fallout from the Liverpool Spurs game and where VAR goes from here. This is the Soccer OG. Well, I rebranded this segment to Check Complete, and now, in the literal sense, we are having a topic that is all about Check Complete. The PGMOL, Professional Game Match Officials Limited, which is really kind of an obnoxious title, isn't it? Can't you see the Referees Organization of Great Britain or something along those lines? The PGMOL, the Professional Game Match Officials Limited. And that's part of the issue with... uh, VAR and officiating. It's just, it's become uh, this power grab, It's be- in my estimation, and it's become this principal mentality, you know, the principal at school where you get reprimanded for everything. And sometimes we just, we need to have a regular conversation between coaches and players and broadcasters and officials. So we you, you probably heard by now the game between Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur with Luis Diaz uh, was called offside and it turned out he was on and they've released the the audio of that call, which first of all, I want to say is fantastic because it wasn't that long ago they wouldn't have done that, but they did that and they don't look great. They don't sound great in this. As I said earlier, listening to this is so macabre at points. You feel like you're listening to the audio of something awful that's about to happen and it kind of it, it is in the world of Liverpool but it's uh it, we've blown this out of proportion so much that we are just waiting with it you know we've over forget the scores forget the goals forget the players forget the results it's about this decision I'm gonna play it for you so you can hear what's happened because it is fascinating because we we get inside or we get behind the uh, the curtains, so to speak, of what happens with officials. So this is it, the audio release from that game from PGMOL. Oh, good. Both holding. Both holding. Yeah. Leave it though. Waiting, Keep delaying, it. delaying. Yes. Yeah. Give it. Coming back for the offside, Sorry. mate. Just checking the offside, delay, delay. Give a kick point. Let's go. Yep. Kick point, yeah, please. No so here we are. Thank you. Wait, okay. Um, just get a tight angle. Yeah, give me 2D line ready. I feel as well for frame right, two. So that. frame, That's fine. Frame two there. Perfect. I've got yep. the time on this. 2D line on left boot. Yep. Let me just switch angles. I think it might be this angle better. Hey. Happy okay. with this angle? Yeah. Yep. 2D line on the boot. 2D line on the boot. Yep. Okay. Wait, no wait. So 2D line on the boot. I'll stop. Check complete. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, mate. Wait, 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 wait. The on-field decision was offside. Are you, are you happy with this? Yeah. Are you happy with this? Offside decision. Goal. Yeah. That's, no, that's what it does. What? On-field decision was offside. Are you happy with this image? Yeah, yeah, it's onside. The image we gave him is onside. Left back. He's played. He's yeah. gone offside. Delay, delay, delay. Yeah. Oli's saying to delay. Oli's saying to delay. Pardon? Oli's calling in to say delay the game. To, to complete the yeah. decision is also cut right in Oli saying to delay Oli saying to delay Oli yeah delay the game to delay the game stop the yeah, game they've restarted Nothing the game the yeah they've restarted yeah can't do anything no I can't do anything I can't do anything Obviously, you have to visualize a few things there. Uh, this is an audio podcast, so I can't show you the video, which would match up with the actual call where you could see it. But the interesting th- thing there is the two words, check complete, which is now the, the name of this segment. I don't know if I have to keep it that way because it's going to have a, a, a nasty uh, a derogatory reference to it. But you, so if on the field, it is called offside. If the VAR official says check complete, they are agreeing with the decision on the field. So in this case, it was called offside, but the VAR official, you can hear them saying it was onside, but the official there, the VAR official goes check complete, 
And then the steward he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, we're calling it onside. If it's it's not check complete, we have to tell them that it was onside. By saying check complete, you're confirming that it's offside. I know I'm hurting your head right now. So that official was right. And those are the names of the officials. I don't want to look through them all because you get they're getting raked over the coals, uh, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, because at the end of the day, the, we know it's this is these are human calls. I'm going to get I'm getting ahead of myself. And then he says, uh, "It's too late." The official there, I go, and and they can't make the decision. It's the play has gone on, which I agree with in some ways. But if it's you know that this is going to blow up. You stop the game, even if it's a minute later, and say, sorry, we screwed up. That's an onside. It's a goal. We're going to backtrack more so than we've ever done before. But that would have been the right decision. I know it would have been a courageous decision to do it, but that would have been the right decision to make, and it would have been accurate, and you would have been able to uh, obviously upset Tottenham Hotspur, but you would been you would have had the comfort of knowing you made the right call instead of the dread of knowing this is going to come out and later you're going to have to apologize to Liverpool and say we made the wrong call so it's one of those decisions we've all been there right we know like this is the right decision i got i got to speak up but you don't and common sense hasn't been made in that var booth which is the problem with this because for me it's become so mechanical and as i was saying with officiating it is They'll hit you on the wrist. I go, you, it, you're you 100% right or you're 100% wrong. There's no gray area. If we, we, we would never admit to a mistake. I don't, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy that they would say, I made a mistake. How often have we heard that from an official? I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Do you think we're going to crucify you for that? We're going to applaud you. We want the humanity in these calls. We want to be like you. We don't want like uh, check the toe angle with all this terminology that they've created. We don't want that. We want it to be a normal conversation. And we w- we're okay if you made a mistake. And we'll, we'll come up if we made a mistake. But it's flown the coop of all of this, right? It has gone so far where we have these terminology and this is the way it goes and we have a process and we are the PGMOL. You know, this is we're going after England because of this uh, this situation, and you know, VAR's VAR was good at the World Cup. I'm going to say that at the World Cup, VAR was very good. I'm at MLS. VAR needs some work. VAR needs work everywhere, and I think everyone agrees it. And we're we're stuck with VAR for. La- I mean, I don't. That's not the right way to phrase it. But we're, VAR is here to stay. I don't agree with it. Uh, I was a, I, let me take that back. I didn't want VAR, but uh, you can't stop progress and it's here. So perhaps we change the way it's implemented. And these are the things that may have to do it. Let's minimize it because it's gone so big. We call offside and handball and foul playing. We can go back and the ball is whatever it is. VAR reigns supreme and you can go way back in a minute of a play if it affected a goal. Let's make goal line, I think it should be goal line decisions. Uh, If a hand prevented a ball from going in, if it's a clear offside, offside call, inside a goal scoring opportunity, everything else, let it go. Because that's what happened. It snowballs. We get more and more officiating, more officiating, more officiating. And it's just gone off the deep end. And we don't know what we clearly know by that audio is that it's, this is not an exact science and it's weird and people are scared. And we're hurting the officials that are on the field because we're, we're, we don't know what to make it. They're, they're, they wanted to make the call in such haste that they forgot about making the right call. And, you know, my biggest issue with VAR is it, it slows down the game. But if it's a big call, you slow it down. If you stopped us already, just keep us stopped. And maybe over time, we will speed up the process once it becomes more secondhand to all officials. But that was done hastily. I mean, everything about it, was really shocking to me. The speed, um, the, the the arrogance of some of these, this officiating, the, the the lack of ability to say you were wrong, the uh, <laughs> the overusage of, of of VAR, and um, I, I do love the fact that they released this because transparency is key, and they haven't been transparent. So now we have this. We have a 
big problem because this game is two teams are in the top five. What happens if Liverpool's fighting for a championship or Spurs are fighting for a championship or a top four spot? The the race has been compromised because uh, Spurs end up winning that game. At the very least, you, you give them that goal and it's 2-2. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was mentioning maybe we should replay it. He was kind of saying that I think he suggested we the only solutions to replay it. We don't want to replay it, but deep down inside he wants to replay it. He handled it pretty well, but you know, still he's he he is one of the complainers. And a lot of people feel like Liverpool have been affected more than anyone else by VAR or officiating. Please give me a break. Give me a break. That is a product of Jurgen Klopp being so vocal about it. And he's got to chill out with all of that. I thought he handled it pretty good until the end asking for a replay. Because that's not the solution here. We don't go back. If you open the Pandora's box, if you start going back with these decisions, if you talk about messed up calls, let's just replay the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal between Argentina and England and take away the Maradona goal. I know that's excessive. But you you get the gist of it. It's We start going back... Uh, these games are final, and you deal with it. You don't replay it, even though a mistake was made. And I want to say this in closing. I am okay with this game and the officiating being imperfect, because it's never going to be perfect. This is a case in point about it. It's never going to be perfect. I'm okay with the imperfection of making a wrong call and it affecting sports. I know on the flip side, we can't get rid of VAR and replay, because every other sport is doing it. And some of them are doing it very poorly. I've raised the NFL there. It is frustrating beyond belief. Uh, but if there are mistakes made, that's fine. That is fine. But let's put these referees in good positions where these mistakes are made. We're not going to have a witch hunt. It, but this is, I mean, this, this is where you realize, I mean, VAR is not broken, but it needs a lot of work and a lot of help. And now we got to propel forward with this information. And I'm glad it happened, but it is, it's crazy. But I want the takeaway to be here. We know everyone's not perfect and stop acting like you have to be perfect. And this three or four minutes deciphering something that's not clear and obvious, that's got to go. Four minutes to go. Oh, let's do another line. Maybe he was slightly offside. If you can't tell, let it go. We're okay with the marginal decisions. I can't speak for everyone. I know I am. And I, I know I spoke with Alexi Lala so many times, and he goes, there's no such thing as a bit offside. I go, yeah, but Alexi, sometimes for argument's sake, there is. <laughs> for, some, for argument's sake, you can be a little offside, or you may have handled the ball accidentally, and it's okay. Let's not put everything under the microscope. But fascinating stuff. Glad they released it. And check complete. <laughs> Soccer OG podcast. Rate, review, download, and subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. You're going to really enjoy the video up there about Christian Pulisic, who is now four straight starts for Milan, coming around beautifully. Now he's got to get Gio Reyna up and running. Great to be with you as always. We'll be back next week. We're looking at some big-time guests as we wind down the MLS season. There is never a dull minute. FIFA, do the right thing. Make two World Cups. Give Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay the 2030 World Cup. Give Spain, Portugal, and Morocco the 2034. Let's move forward. Until I talk to you again, Placido Domingo!